Well, good morning. He is risen. Amen. Isn't it good to be able to be back? You know, last year we weren't able to come together for Easter, and it kind of hurt, like, for the body of Christ not to be able to gather together and, and celebrate and rejoice in the resurrected Christ. It's good to be together this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. I have never personally been a gambler. Uh, I, I don't mean that I don't take chances. What I mean is I have never literally gone all in when there's money online. Uh, I've never been one to uh, bet the farm on the ponies at the Kentucky Derby. I've never been one to buy lottery tickets, but there was this one time. About five years ago, many of you probably remember that one of the, I can't remember which one, there's the two big lotteries, the Powerball and the other one, the mega millions or mega bucks, or I can't, I'm obviously an expert on these things. And it was about five years ago, I think, that it had got up like a crazy, crazy high number, and the jackpot was huge, and nobody had won it yet. And even still at that, I wasn't like, oh, well, now's the time. I think I'm going to do it. I still wasn't even interested. But at the time, I was also, for those of you who did not, didn't know, I was also a school bus driver for the city of Kiel, which helped me grow in my sanctification a lot. <laughs> and because... Uh, the kids know where the line is, and they're like, yeah. So I was driving school bus, and at this time, I remember coming into the bus yard one morning, and all the other bus drivers are there, and they're talking, and I walk in, and they're like, hey there, Pastor Steve, don't you know it's the big mega bucks going on, and uh, the jackpot's huge, and we were thinking we would all pitch in on the pot, and you want to go in with us, hey there, once? That's a, that's a paraphrase, Okay. <laughs> Pretty close to that, something like that. And it was pure peer pressure. I didn't really want to, but I was like, well, how much are we talking? And they're like, just a couple of bucks. And I was like, eh, why not? And the most interesting thing happened, I won. No. <laughs> Over the next few days, it was three days until the next jackpot drawing. And over those next three days, I remember very vividly every free minute I had Every idle moment, even times driving around when the kids in the back of the bus are trying to drive me nuts, I'm sitting there thinking, man, if we won. And for three days, I began thinking, that's a lot of money. I mean, even though it would be split between the 10 of us, that's still, man, that's a lot of money. Man, if we won, imagine we could, we could pay off our mortgage, we could pay off even our family's debts, we could, I mean, we could give a huge chunk to the church for like a building project or something. We could, oh, wait, wait, let's be noble. I, would, I could give it all to charity because that's what people do. You began thinking, oh, man, I, if, if only then I could. I, I, we could, we could, since we live in Wisconsin, we could buy a house in either Arizona or Florida because that's what Wisconsinites do so that they could we could enjoy some time down there in the winter and stay nice and warm and, and we could have uh, the, this certain car that we wanted or we could do this and we could go there and we could live this way and all these different things. For three days, I began building these hopes. And, well, what happened? Three days later, the numbers fell and we didn't win. 
And what happened after that, I remember that morning coming in and they're like, yeah, we didn't win. I didn't even have the numbers. I didn't know. They could have duped me. They could have been just buying a Happy Meal with my money. I don't know. But they said, oh, Steve, we didn't win. And I was like, oh, man. And for the next day or two, I found myself in somewhat of a minor depression. Like I, I, I felt minorly hopeless, like my hopes had been dashed. All those things that I started going, man, that, that would be incredible. That would be so awesome. It would be so liberating. It would be all this and all that. My hopes were dashed. And all of us in life, varying points in our lives because of different things that have happened, have had different levels of our hopes being not met, our hopes being disappointed, some minor, like what I dealt with that day, that was minor. Some of us have had our hopes dashed in significant ways, ways that are much more severe than what I went through that day. And if you've got your Bible this morning, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24. This is a scene where we're about to read about a couple of characters that this scene is set with grief, with mourning, with pain, disillusionment even, and ultimately, levels of hopelessness. Luke chapter 24, we're going to start reading in verse 13. That very day, two of them, this is two random disciples, not amongst the twelve, but two disciples, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself, this is the resurrected Jesus, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing them. God shielded their eyes to where, for whatever reason he saw fit, he didn't want them to know yet that they were walking and talking with Jesus. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Today we would say, what are you talking about? And they stood still looking sad. Jesus asked them, what are you guys talking about? And they just stood there looking sad because of everything that had happened. And one of them named Cleopas answered him, are, are you the only one? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Where you been, man? Don't you know what's been going on? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped... We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We know that one of these disciples is named Cleopas. We don't know the other one's name. There's a very good chance that it was Cleopas' wife, as they would have been traveling together for the Passover. Uh, if not his wife, it was just another disciple that, for whatever reason, they didn't see fit to name in the story. But these are two disciples who were not one of the 12 disciples, but they're people who had heard enough, witnessed enough about Jesus to decide to follow him and become disciples and start investing hope, as we see, in 
Jesus Christ. These are people, we don't know the extent of how much they witnessed and how much they saw and how much they heard, but enough to where they could say, we had hoped he was the one. They had probably at least seen some measure of miracles with the massive amount of people that Jesus healed, even Lazarus that was raised from the dead, the spectacular miracles that Jesus did with calming the sea, all the things that he did, hearing all the things that he had spoken, all the things that he had taught, hearing that he taught differently than all the Pharisees and Sadducees and and rabbis of the day, that he taught as one with authority, unlike the others. And all these things, whatever it was that these two had experienced, it was enough for them to believe and hope that this Jesus was the one. But then Friday came, And that Jesus, upon whom they had placed their hope, they saw on the cross. And even in that moment on the cross, perhaps they thought maybe he was going to save himself as many mocked him and cried out. They saw him up on the cross with his hands nailed and his feet nailed. They witnessed his body struggling as he would pull himself up to gasp for air and then come back down struggling to breathe and then pull himself back up to breathe again and relax again, thinking maybe, maybe at some point he's going to pull himself up and do some miracle like we've seen him do miracles over and over. Maybe he's going to set himself free from this situation, seeing him up on the cross and then not only that, but hearing him say, it is finished. And to hear him say, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, and not only to witness those things and to hear those things, but then to see the struggling, fighting, shaking body of Jesus become limp, lifeless, dead. Not only that, but to see that lifeless, limp body taken down from the cross, limp limbs, To see that lifeless body carried by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus to the place where they would dress the body and prepare it for burial. And then to see that same body wrapped in those cloths, taken to the tomb and placed in the tomb. And then to see the stone rolled in front of it. Led them to a place where they could say, we had hoped. We had hoped. He was the one. Going back to verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but, but him they did not see. They're saying, we've even had some things happen this morning where some of the women of our company, they went and they didn't see his body in the tomb anymore and they had angels appear to them and say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. And, and others of our group, they went to check the tomb also and they said too that the body wasn't there, but I wonder if, I wonder if it was for real or if maybe somebody took the body or I don't know they were still in a place of saying 
we had hoped. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 25, Oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Seven miles he walks with these two individuals from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And he begins opening the scriptures and saying, guys, don't you remember? How, how, do you, how do you not believe right now? Don't you remember the scriptures told us this would happen? Do you, have you forgotten the prophecies about the Messiah that would come? Don't you remember in Genesis when it said this, that it was actually pointing towards the Savior who would come? Have you forgotten that the Passover lamb that was sacrificed so that death would pass over the people of God, that that, that was actually a symbol pointing towards to the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world that John the Baptist talked about? Have you guys forgotten Isaiah 53 where it said that he was wounded for our transgressions, that he was bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed? Have you forgotten what the prophets said? Have you forgotten what the word of God said for seven miles? Guys, seven miles walking is a long time. It's a long way. So I want you to imagine the breadth of scripture that Jesus took them through. I've never walked seven miles, I don't think. Don't intend to. <laughs> but for seven miles, Jesus is expounding the scriptures to show, guys, you have lost faith in what has been promised. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Oh, to have been a fly on the wall. That moment when they're thinking, we have spent pretty much this whole day walking with this man as he opened the scriptures to us, explaining flawlessly every nuance of the Old Testament to help us see, well, to them it wouldn't have been the Old Testament, every nuance of the Torah and of the prophets, all of that to help us see that this was actually what was prophesied. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh, snap. We are in the room with the resurrected Jesus. Like they were probably hoping they were wearing depends at that point. Because their eyes are opened, they recognize they're with him, and then he vanishes. And they say to one another, look, they say, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Didn't our hearts burn within us while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Remember, remember, it's dark now. It's nighttime. They've walked all the way seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, 
And they urged Jesus, they said, stay with us because it's already nighttime. The day's already spent. Don't go any further, just stay with us. Jesus reveals himself to them as the risen Messiah, the Savior. And they realize that very hour, we gotta go back. We gotta go back to the others that we were with in Jerusalem, the rest of the disciples, because we were with them and I remember how hopeless we all felt. And I know how distraught we all were. I remember those conversations. We need to go back and we need to talk to them about what we saw. Seven more miles at nighttime. They're like, we've got to go back. And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, guys, the Lord is risen indeed. It's for real. And he has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them and the breaking of the bread. They're like, guys, it's, it's for real. The women were telling the truth. We, we were walking to Emmaus and this guy comes with us and he starts explaining to us how all of the scriptures pointed to this event that just happened on Friday and here on Sunday morning. And then we realized, oh man, this is Jesus. He is risen, guys. It's for real. Verse 36 as they were talking about these things, as they were talking, Jesus himself stood among them. One more time. He's like, ta-da. <laughs> Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. One more time, I want to be a fly on the wall. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands. See my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they're like, we, we can't believe it. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, you guys got anything to eat? Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, what? Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, flesh and bone, appears in the room with these guys. He says, guys, peace be to you. Why are you so afraid? Here, it's me. Look at me. See my hands. See my feet. Let's go one further. Touch me. Feel me. That it's really me, not some spirit like you think. I ain't a ghost. It really is me. You got some food? And I sit here going, like I, I'm trying to put myself in that room, and I go, I'd probably be like, yeah, yeah, you just rose from the dead you want food? Okay. Why is, this, why is this important? Why does it matter that Jesus would sit down and eat some fish among his disciples? Because Jesus knows these are men who are sitting there for three days, utterly dejected, distraught, confused, and fear, worried, and hopeless. Men who had probably had moments of thinking like, how, 
how did we get so duped? Like we knew, I mean, there were other people who came before Jesus that were claiming to be the Messiah, and we didn't, we didn't fall for them, but there was something different about this one where we thought, for real, that this time, man, we thought he was the one, like, like the stuff he did. Guys, we were all together. You, we were all in the boat. We, were, we thought we were going to die in the boat when he stood at the helm and said, peace be still, and, and the waves stopped. And the wind stopped. The weather obeyed him. Is there some way that was, could it have been just a crazy coincidence? Like just perfect timing? Maybe he was a prophet and knew that the storm was... Lazarus was dead. We all, we all knew it. We were all weeping together. And, and Jesus came and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he, he walked out of the tomb. We all saw the blind people that their eyes... We all saw the lame that walked. We all saw all the things he did. Not only that, but we heard him teach. And he didn't teach like the Pharisees. He didn't teach like the rabbis that we've seen and known. He had a, a different kind of authority. It was like he was talking for God. Man, we... But we all saw him on the cross, and we, we saw him dead. Jesus knew the hopelessness that they were in. And he appears. See, Jesus cared. He wanted to make sure that his disciples knew that he was true. He wanted to make sure his disciples knew that he was true. So he not only appears to them and speaks to them, he says, me appearing, I know they can think I'm a ghost and they're freaking out, I can see it. So guys, look, it's not a ghost, it's me. See my hands, see my feet. Let's take it a step further. Touch me. I want you to know that I am. Not only that, I'm going to sit down right now and I'm going to do something that ghosts don't do. I'm going to eat some fish. And then his disciples got to sit there watching him. This is for real. Like, can you believe this? He's the resurrected Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the, of the world. He's eating my fish. One more little thing to show his disciples. You were not duped. You were not deceived. I am who I said I was. I am who you thought I was. All that you thought of me, all that you believed in me, all the hope that you began investing in me, that hope is not disappointed because here I am. Peter, when you said you are the son of the living God, the Christ, you were right. Here I am. I am. All the hope that you have invested, you can cash it in because I conquered death and the grave. I've risen from the dead, and I'm here in your room. I'm here in your face. You can touch me. You can watch me eat some fish, and you can know that I am who I said I am.
and we can know. Well, Pastor Stephen, how can we know? Because we weren't there. We didn't get to see. We didn't get to touch. We didn't get to watch him eat. Consider this. These people in the room would then all go on to die for this man eating the fish. I've never been having dinner with someone and thought, I'll die for them. We all like to think that we're noble, and even Romans says that scarcely will someone die for another, and even maybe every now and then someone might die for a good, a good person, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But he didn't just die. He's raised from the dead and he appears to the disciples in this way and he lets them touch him and he sits and eats fish because he knows that each one of these are going to come to a place where they're going to have to be willing to die for him. And guys, we're not gonna die for some parlor trick magician. We're not gonna die for some political random person who we're just hoping might be someone that could maybe take over and restore the kingdom of Israel. But when you have seen someone die on a cross, a brutal death, breathe their last, be in the grave for three days, and resurrected from the dead, and let you touch them and sit there watching him eat fish, you can go, he's real. He's legit. He's the one. He really is the Messiah. He really is the Savior. And you can stand up in front of the Sanhedrin and the high priests and those who are telling you, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And you say, you judge whether I should listen to you or God. I can't help but talk about the things I've seen and heard. I'm gonna keep preaching Jesus. Why? Because they were in the room. They saw the dead body and then they touched the resurrected body. They knew. Consider the fact that Jesus' own brothers before the resurrection didn't believe in him. They were like, Jesus? Nah, we gave him noogies and wedgies. Like, no. He's not the Messiah. Come on. The carpenter at best, you know. After the resurrection, Jesus' brothers go on to die for him, to proclaim his message. And for years, thousands of years, many, many, many have gone on to lay down their lives for this one who is the risen Savior. Well, Pastor Stephen, that's more good evidence, but I mean, does that help me get to where we can know? Listen, that's the, the whole point of when we become children of God, when we repent of our sin and we place our faith in Jesus Christ, he fills us with the Holy Spirit where we have the same assurance because the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and will quicken your mortal body, it says in Romans 8. That same Holy Spirit comes into us to where we don't have to go, am I, am I saved? Is God real? The Holy Spirit comes in and you're like, oh, oh, I know it. I know he's real. Why? Because he took this rebellious, sinful, hungry for wickedness heart that I had and he took it out and replaced it with a heart that longs to do right and wants to please God. Replaced it with a heart that wants to honor him, wants to worship him, wants to please him, wants the word, wants prayer. He changed my heart. And although I might not have been in the room, he has come into me and changed me. And if you haven't had that moment, then I have no, I, I don't have any difficulty understanding why you could struggle with doubt. 
But when you have seen that he is truly who scripture says that he is, and you place your faith in him and the Holy Spirit comes in and changes your heart, you get that same assurance. Romans again says that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're sons of God. The spirit of God comes in and says, yeah, you belong to God. See, Jesus wanted his disciples, his followers to know that he was true. Going on in verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then again, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, that Holy Spirit we're talking about, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." Jesus does it one more time, the same thing that he did all the, way to the road to, all the way on the road to Emmaus as he begins to expound the scriptures saying, guys, did you not see? He does it again with the whole room of the 12. He says, guys, did you not realize, did you not see that Adam, when he had his test in the garden and he failed, that three days ago I was in the garden of Gethsemane and I had my own test and I passed? Did you not see that I'm the second Adam? Did you not see that the seed of the woman prophesied about in the opening chapters of Genesis that would crush the head of the serpent while the serpent would strike his heel? Did you not see that me on the cross was the serpent striking my heel and me crushing his head? Did you not see that Abraham, who obediently left everything he knew out of comfort and went into the unknown of what God was leading him into, that I am the true and better Abraham that left my heavenly palace and left the comfort that I knew to come down to the human condition and save you? Have you not seen and realized that Abel, the innocent brother who was slain, whose blood cried out guilty, that I am the true and better one whose blood cries out not guilty? Have you not realized that Isaac went up the mountain and was offered before God and God said to Abraham, now I see that you love me because you didn't withhold your only son from me. Did you not see that I went up the hill of Golgotha and my father is showing you that he loves you because he did not withhold his own son from you? Guys, scripture after scripture, story after story, prophecy after prophecy, it all led to, it all pointed to, it all set up for the revelation of what took place on Friday and is now manifest on Sunday, the resurrected Christ. all led to this, the turning point of history. Did you guys not see it? Jesus wanted his disciples not only to see that he was true, he wanted them to see that he was better. He was better than all those Old Testament pictures that led up to him. But not only that, he was better than what they'd hoped for. What did the two on the road to Emmaus say to Jesus? We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem the nation of Israel. 
And Jesus is going, that's all you're hoping for? See, you, you think your problem is the occupation of Rome. You don't realize your real problem is the occupation of sin and death. You think I came here for petty little Rome? The kingdoms of men that rise and fall? My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. My kingdom will never fall. And you guys think I just came here to fix political stuff? I came here to fix your greatest problem, sin and death. See, on the cross, Jesus conquers our sin. And in the tomb, he conquers death. On the cross, he conquered your sin, my sin, the sins of mankind. That's why John the Baptist could say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Where we could stand with confidence before God, knowing that if we've placed our faith in that work that Jesus did on the cross when he said, it is finished, meaning it is fulfilled, it is paid for, your debt is paid, that we could come to God confidently, saying, God, will you forgive me? I know you've already paid for it, and I want to receive it. I want to come into faith in Jesus Christ. In the same way that he said to those men, I'm better than what you're hoping for, that I would just restore the kingdom of Israel. To us today, he's saying, I'm better than what you're hoping for. And the hopes in your life that you've had dashed. The things that you've been longing for and hoping for and your hopes were disappointed. Jesus said, you're only hoping for that? I came for greater. I came to fix the greatest problem. And yes, I'm mindful of everything in your life. And yes, I care about everything in your life. But I'm so much better that you don't even realize the treasure in the field that I was talking about in Matthew 13. When I said the kingdom of God's like a treasure in a field that a man found and for joy over what he found, went and sold everything he had so he could buy the field. Jesus is the treasure. He's saying, I'm better than prosperity. I'm better than perfect health. I'm better, and those are good things that God gives. I'm better than your dreams. I'm better than the perfect career. I'm better than your aspirations and your ambitions. I'm better than the relationship you're hoping for. I'm better than any outcome you could hope for. I am the one who will so fulfill you that even when those things aren't fulfilled the way that you hope, you can be satisfied because you've got me and I fulfill every longing of the heart. He's better. He's true. And he's better. This Jesus Christ conquered sin and conquered death so that we could know he is who he said he was. We can place our hope in him, place our faith in him, and that he's better than we think he is. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater, 
The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and woman. There is a true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us. There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac, the son of laughter, of grace, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus.